and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the indefatigable Matt. There now follows a moment's silence for His Royal Highness, Prince Philip. God save our gracious <laughs> Queen, long live our noble Queen. God save the Queen. <laughs> I think that's probably quite enough of that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, full disclosure, David's recorder didn't work the first time. And the first time through, I screamed that song at the top of my lungs. So I yeah. thought I'd do a and different you, you take. A full, you did like a full rendition, didn't you? Yes. Said <laughs> um, <Center> victorious. <laughs> Happy and glorious, long to reign over us. Altogether, David, for the last line. God, God save the queen. queen. And that's yeah. fine, we can sing that, because didn't the British government put a press release out this week saying that we as a country aren't racist, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Good fly job, everyone. None of this half mass business for the prince. He wouldn't mind that. Yeah. Get him up no. for the duke. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so, Matt. Hello. We're talking about Heaven Sent this week. We are. We are. Um, and I'm a little bit nervous. I don't mind telling you. You don't um, need to be nervous. We've been friends a long time. No, it's it's not about that. It's it's like, you know, this is one of those episodes, right? I don't know how much you knew going into it this was going to be one of those episodes, but it is. It's, you know, it's, some people talk about it as, you know, a contender for greatest episode of Doctor Who of all time. So there's a lot of pressure on, on, on it in that respect. You know, do we have another midnight situation on our hands? Uh, you know, is this another sacred cow of the Doctor Who canon that uh, you're going to just mercilessly rip apart for 45 minutes. Um, but then also, I'm just kind of nervous for myself because I don't know that I've got anything particularly notable or original or or interesting to say about it, just because it's one of those episodes that's been so discussed and so picked apart because of its its stature um, that there's all, I almost feel like there's nothing... There's no point talking about it other than to get your uh, feelings on it, which we'll hold off on for now, Matt, if uh-huh. you don't mind. Um, I think we you know we need to kind of uh, try and get through the the, uh, the first half of this episode uh, as much as possible. Just kind of treat it like any other episode. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Even though it, it, it clearly isn't. This is uh, this is I'll be honest. This is one that I've been thinking about since the moment you agreed to start this podcast with me. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'd be thinking like, I wonder what it'll make of Heaven Sent. I wonder what, you know, will we get that far? Will we get to this one? And if we do, what will I say about it? What will Matt say about it? it I genuinely had those thoughts multiple times uh-huh. in, in the run-up to this. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is a moment. This is a, this is a momentous one. But anyway, um, Shall we just get the usual blather out of the way first? Yeah, we can, if you like. Where would you like to yeah. start? 
Oh, uh, wherever you would like to start, Matt. Uh, well, top of my running order, I've got meal of the week. All right, then. Uh, um, so, what have you had for breakfast this morning, David? Uh, I had a vegetarian sausage sandwich. Oh, very nice. I had some vegetarian sausages last week. Uh, what, my, what brand? Uh, heck. All right. My, yeah. my wife went a bit mad and just yeah. bulk ordered, like, ten packets of sausages. I don't really know why. Uh, but we bought so many sausages, they sent us a free pack of vegetarian. And they were yeah. probably nicer than the meaty ones. Really? Yeah. Like, because obviously, yeah. like, no grease comes out of them. They keep, yeah. like, a nice shape. They were lovely. Yeah. I think that there's been a bit of explo- uh, a bit of an explosion in the vegetarian sausage world in recent years. And I think it's because someone's come up with a, a, a good vegetarian sausage casing. Mm-hmm. So you get ones now that you never used to get, uh, you know, old-fashioned vegetarian sausages. They were more like kind of logs, basically, logs of stuff that more or less held together. But the ones you get now, they've got like a proper sausage casing, um, and I think it's it's been a bit of a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've had the heck ones though. Oh, I'd recommend them. I should probably have to check them out. Um, We're anyway, recording a little yeah. bit later. Have you had lunch today? I have had lunch. Oh, what did you I have? I had uh, just had some cheese and biscuits and a little bit of homemade piccalilli. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, I made it a few months ago, and uh, I just remembered it's that it's kind of sat long enough that I can crack it open now. So uh, today was the the debut outing <laughs> of the homemade piccalilli. And did it meet expectations? Exceeded, if anything. Oh, wow! It's good stuff. So, um, what about you? What's your uh, what's your breakfast and lunch situation? Well, I'm I'm not going to disclose my breakfast because that's my meal of the week. Okay. Uh, but just for lunch, I just had a couple of sausage rolls and a bit of soup. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, very it was nice. okay. Um, yeah. Well, before you get into your your breakfast, because this that could be a um, there might be a lot to discuss there. There might not be. Who knows? Um, I will quickly say my meal of the week is pretty st- simple. It's the homemade chocolate chip cookie using leftover Easter egg chocolate that I ate just moments before starting this recording. Ah, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. And what about you? Uh, This morning, my breakfast, I had a chocolate chip cookie and a cup of tea, which doesn't sound much in terms of meal of the week standards. Yeah. But it's the... Basically, this week, because it's the Easter break, um, it's the first cookie and cup of tea I've had with my niece and nephew since before Christmas. So, it was a bit special, a bit emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's weird that we've both ended up on chocolate chip cookies as our meal of the week. Yeah. It's just Um, that time of year. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, Well, lovely. That's got that out of the way nice and quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a nice emotional, sentimental meal of the week, but it's not as good as the curry I had. No. I I think, is it it my lasagna is still raining? Yeah, Yeah. vegetable lasagna. Yeah. Well then, um... I I, I do worry if people listen to this for, like, the first time. If they see we're doing Heaven Sent and we're just talking about eating biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I... Our podcast, you've got to have been in for the long haul. If you haven't listened since episode one. And 
It's yeah. just like, welcome to our Doctor Who podcast. Uh, we've just discussed what we had for breakfast, and in a minute we'll probably discuss <laughs> what we've watched on telly this week. <laughs> yeah, we will get round to Heaven Saint eventually. If you are if you are diving into the first time, because this is one of the more possible ones that uh, somebody might just jump into, I would recommend going back to the start of Series 7, because that's where we started recording in lockdown, and... That's when a lot of the more self-indulgent stuff started to creep yeah. into the roster for our uh, our episodes. Basically, meal of the week began when uh, I think one episode I was trying to put off talking about the episode, and you were getting yeah. angrier and angrier. And then you went, "Fine, is there anything else?" And I just went, uh, "What do you have for breakfast today?" Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's where it was uh, um, born. Yeah, yeah. So no, there was there was a t- there was a more innocent time when we just talked about Doctor Who, but uh, no, those those days yeah, are long I, gone. Like I say, I listen I listened to our review of Midnight this morning. Yeah, because as you've said today, it's going to be one of those episodes, and that episode's only forty five minutes long as well. Yeah, and we, we... so it's not like we've uh, it's not like we've shortened the amount of time we tend to spend on an episode. We've just added a load of additional crap. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the, the, the only thing we discuss in that episode, other than the midnight episode itself, yeah. is uh, we, talk, we talk about the 60th anniversary and what our hopes would be. And yeah. you say that your main hope is to get Christopher Eccleston back to do some big finish audios. Then yep. I put out a play saying, "Come on, Christopher, do it, do it for David, do it for David," mm. and he's done it. So clearly, we've got yeah. a fan there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure he, he must have been listening because there's there's nothing he would uh, th- th- there's nothing he'd prefer to uh, be listening to than than someone reviewing uh, an episode from the Tenant Years, <laughs> his, <laughs> his immediate <laughs> successor. Uh, serving under a, a showrunner that he that he had a bit of a falling out with. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure he. Well, I'm sure I, he I, that I think Eccleston wakes up every Saturday and he's like, "Oh, I wonder what David's had for breakfast." <laughs> that would be yeah, that would be quite extraordinary. But uh, you know, I am excited though. First first set drops next month, and uh, I await it with bated breath. Mm. So, where do you want to go from you, here? What? What is bated breath? Why is that a phrase? Um, yeah, see, on our Doctor... I don't even on our, know. On our Doctor Who podcast, what is the origin of bated breath? Is it a Shakespeare one? I find often, if you've got a weird turn of phrase that's just people use without thinking about, um, nine times out of ten, it's it Shakespeare. Is. It's... Yeah. Um, it's first mentioned in The Merchant of Venice, and the word baited is an abbreviation of the word abated, meaning to lessen in severity or amount. Right. Okay, so almost like you're holding your breath yeah. in anticipation. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. There we go. Yeah. See, you, you might learn something if this is your first time listening. Oh, yes. We're, we're, we, are, we are in the education section of... Uh, most podcast yeah. uh, apps, aren't we? Um, right then. Uh, what do you want to do first, Matt? Do you want to do Would I Lie to Who? Or do you want to do TV Highlight of the Week? Uh, well, if we stick to my running order, I've got Would I Lie to Who next. 
then let's crack on with it. Right. I believe you're serving up the lies this week. It is. So, uh, if you are listening for the first time, I'm going to give David three statements, only one of which is true. He needs to work out which one that is. Okay, so, David. Yes. For the past fortnight, I've been off work. It's the Easter break from school, Mm -hmm. and I've spent a bit of time at my in-law's farm just helping out, just to fill the days, really, just to keep myself busy. Yeah. So, this week, I'm going to give you three statements from my time working on the farm. Okay. Okay. Because this week, I have become the laughing stock of my family, and I want you to see if you can work out why. Okay. I'm ready for this. Okay. So, statement number one. Whilst helping my father-in-law to birth a piglet, I managed to get through it and became overcome with emotion. You know, I'm not a father. I've never Mm -hmm. been in a delivery room. And I fainted shortly after. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Statement number two. After antagonising a sheep all day, it eventually gave in, headbutted me in the leg, and I was too ashamed to tell my wife immediately what had happened. (laughs) And number three. uh, My in-laws have been laughing at me when they heard me screaming having been attacked by a swan. However, it turned out it wasn't attacking me. Quite the opposite, David. It really liked me. (laughs) Okay, so... I'm going to rule out the pig birthing scenario. Okay. For two reasons. One, I don't know that you would be any use in that situation. And and I think if... if you, You don't want amateurs... Crowding around. No, well, usually, in, in a situation like that. Usually, a pig can just pretty much fart out a litter of piglets. Yeah. What the problem was specifically with the one I was delivering was, I, I, the, well, I certainly know in humans it's known as the amnion. I think it's the amniotic sac hadn't uh-huh. hadn't punctured, so the piglet was effectively struggling to breathe. So my job was to basically get it out whilst my father-in-law was dealing with other stuff. And it was pretty grim, but then I was really pleased with myself, really proud. And I basically yeah. turned to my wife, who was in the yard. She was doing horsey stuff. And I was mm. like, guess what? Guess what? And when she came over to see, I was basically laid down in the barn. Yeah. Uh, the other and the other reason I'm going to dismiss it, though, is because I just think you've got you've got a pretty, like, in D&D terms, you've got a high constitution. Okay. I I don't... I think you're, you're sturdy enough that I don't think you'd, you'd be... You'd, you'd come over all faint uh, in that scenario. Um, but obviously, I could be wrong. But that's my gut instinct, and I've, I've got nothing else to go on here. So, Okay. Um, the second statement, that was... Uh, that I'd antagonised a antagonized sheep, sheep until it yeah. got eventually well, sick of me and attacked. Yeah. Now, this seems much more plausible to me, but... Okay. <laughs> uh, because... What is this podcast if not, you know, a hundred plus episodes of antagonising me? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I, I'd i been trying to feed some of the animals into... Yeah. Uh, is it a trough or a manger? It, it's not like... I think it's a trough, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it wasn't like a little Jesus manger. 
And yeah. every time I was putting straw down, there was one sheep that had escaped into the yard. And whenever mm-hmm. I was feeding the other animals, it kept following me and eating, and I got sick of it. So I was kind of... I mean, this makes me sound horrible, but... You know when you try and kick something but miss intentionally, just to yeah, scare it? Yeah, you're just sort of like shooing with your foot. Yeah, uh, and sort of prodding it with a rake. And eventually <laughs> it got so sick of me, it uh, it attacked. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's my front runner. And So the last one was... Was a swan. Swan, yeah. Because um, as, you, as you well, humped by a swan. Yeah, because the farm that my in-laws own, this yeah. this this bit is true, David. I promise you that they do specialize yeah. in like weird poultry and game birds. Like they do pheasants and geese yeah. and guinea fowl. That sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, not just yeah. your usual chickens and ducks. They have all sorts. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so I was tasked with going to feed it. And, uh, and again, I, I promise you this bit's true. One of my big, big phobias, I think I've discussed this before, is birds. Um, mm. So when I was feeding it, it sort of approached me. And as the coward I am, I pretty much just ran off screaming. Um, it's getting me, it's getting me. And when my wife's... Yeah, my wife's uncle, because it's of my father-in-law's brother, looked, he just laughed and laughed and laughed because it was... I mean, swans are massive, David. I don't think people... They are big. They're they're big boys. So I want you to imagine it rearing up. I was going to say on its hind legs, but it's only got two legs. Yeah. Wings uh, at full span. Yeah. So that's like a good eight feet across. They're fucking massive. Just hurling itself at you. Just running at me. Yeah, I mean, to be honest... I had to jump over a dry stone wall to escape. I... I I'd be legging it in that situation for sure because you know they they have a reputation they can they can break a man's arm. Mm. Um, having said that, I don't buy it. I still think it's the sheep. That's my final answer. Okay, you've gone with sheep. I've gone with sheep. Okay, I'm just gonna send you a picture, David. Let's have a butchers at this. It is the sheep. <laughs> look at look at that mad bastard though. That's not the, the usual sheep. It's got pointed horns. It does have horns. It, oh, that's a lovely fella. It's not. Oh, once once it. it ran into my leg, this this is where I I am ashamed of myself. Yeah. Once it ran into my leg, I punched it as hard as I could in the head. <laughs> and the the thing oh, is, God. it just took it like a champ. <laughs> I, you know, if it was a if it was a straight up f- fight, if you were going the distance, I I put money on that sheep over yeah. you, Matt. No offense, but yeah, that all happened whilst my wife was riding her horse in the school, and afterwards she was like, "Is your leg all right? You you're walking a bit funny," and I had to like, oh, "I've just got a bit of cramp." Just, uh... but David, it hurts like all holy hell. Oh, I bet, I bet, yeah. So is you? You're still recovering from that one, then? Uh, it's still a bit tender. It's still a bit yeah. tender. Mm. You know, with, well, with hindsight, uh, just don't wind sheep up. Good advice. Good advice in all, in all situations, I would say. Yeah. Um. All righty then. Right. So that br- we do t- that brings us to non Doctor Who television highlight of the week. Yes. Have you watched anything good this week? 
can I check? Am I allowed to nominate Doctor Who for my non-Doctor Who television highlight of the week? Yeah, I'm including the title, David. It's non-Doctor Who. Uh, okay. Uh, what have I been watching? Um, we we, we uh, paused Community and blasted through all of Season 7 of Brooklyn Nine-Nine okay. this week. See, that's Jeez. another one that I'm not massively fond of. Yeah, it's it's fer- it's an easy watch. Mm-hmm. Is the thing with Brooklyn Nine Nine? I d- it's like, it's I'm generally not a fan of dual screening. I d- if I'm watching TV, I like to be f- you know have my full focus on the TV. I don't like to be faffing around doing something else. But that is a show that I will basically spend most of my time staring at my phone, playing a game or whatever, and will occasionally glance up at. Um, so it's effectively a radio <laughs> sitcom as far as I'm concerned, with occasional visuals. Um, but yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, I mean, obviously I enjoy it enough to have watched seven seasons of it at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you? Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to our go-to show and talk a little bit mm-hmm. about Taskmaster. Because uh, yes. I think this series of Taskmaster even though it hasn't finished, has been the best series ever. Really? And I think this week's episode is the best episode ever. It's certainly up there with the best of them. I was laughing like nobody's business this week. Yeah. I think my ultimate Taskmaster highlight remains Potato Gate. Yeah. Um... But I can't remember enough about what else was in that episode to say whether that that episode remains my my favourite. See, I I think my all-time favourite moment is uh, when Noel Fielding's concealed as a banana. That was that was pretty special. Yeah, yeah. I I just um, like that this week Lee Mack did everything right, but also everything wrong. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who if you haven't watched it yet. But there's some. Um, this is the, the unravelling of Lee Mack in yeah. some ways, this episode. Um, so, yeah, really, it, it, it was a good one. It was a really good one, for sure. But, yeah, um, um, I'm still going with Invincible on Amazon Prime. That's definitely worth a watch. Excellent. I'm still on with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think this week's episode was probably the best episode of that as well. I have watched one and a half so far. Um I need to catch up on that one. In fact, my television highlight of the week probably hasn't happened yet because we're recording this on the Sunday, so I've got last night's WrestleMania to watch. Oh, right. That's an annual thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Super Bowl of Wrestling, David. Mm. So, super excited for that. I'll probably watch that as soon as we finish recording. Yeah. Well, enjoy. Um, Try to think what else have I done this week. Painted a lot of Warhammer. <laughs> um, it's fine. My wife's not here, so I'll say it. My mother-in-law's been spending a little bit too much time at my house, so I've been uh, <laughs> shutting myself away upstairs and just painting Warhammer. The, you know, the, these things are necessary sometimes, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Alrighty then. Um, I think the only thing I've got left to do is... Yeah. Compl- Got it written here. Complain about my week at work and how difficult fatherhood is. Oh, David, I've picked your notes up by mistake. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? It's been an easier one for me this week purely because with it being the Easter holidays, 
Um, it's like a, it's basically catch up time at work where you know I'm not being bombarded in all directions by school staff, parents, and nurses all wanting different things from me. Do you think so you, I get a little bit of a chance to catch up? Do you think you could use this extra free time you've got to like bump me up to high priority for my COVID vaccine? Uh, would that I had such capabilities. Oh. Right now, my team isn't involved in the COVID nineteen vaccine, and to be honest, I'm I'm hoping uh, with every fibre of my being that that remains the case. Okay, I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, now I I have had my second dose now though, so. Uh, oh well, all right yeah. for some, isn't it? Yeah, don't, it is. Don't ever criticise <laughs> me going to booths again when I'm eating my posh <laughs> croissants. But, you know, I'm coughing my lungs up. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, perks of the job, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Bloody hell. Yeah, I don't want to get political, but I do think it is absolutely mad that uh, teachers haven't been prioritised mm. for for vaccines. It's like, I'd say it's every bit as important as, as, uh, as healthcare staff. But, um, you know, I'm not the one making these decisions. All right then, Matt. Shall we, with uh, with bated breath, shall we uh, talk about Heaven Sent a little bit? Yeah, why not? Uh, before you tell me what where it stands in our in our classic rating system of of good episode to bad episode, I just want to read out some names to you, Matt. Okay. I've got some names written down here. Stephen Moffat. Yes. Rachel Talalay, Peter Capaldi, Murray Gold, Stuart Biddlecombe, William Oswald, Ray Holman, Michael Pickwode. And you know what? I could keep going on and on down to the, the runners on this episode. I think everyone who contributed to the making of this episode worked their absolute socks off and it shows. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh-huh. That's it. That's and I can't really worryingly say more than you that said right the now. same thing about midnight. I did. Uh, with with midnight, I said it, it commits Doctor Who's greatest sin of being boring, and you yeah. told me it was a fucking work of art, and then you started shouting, yeah. and I apologise yeah. for that language. I'm trying really hard to cut down all the swearing in our pod. Okay, mm. but I was paraphrasing David, so it's all right. You are, um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I will continue to swear like the Dickens. So, yeah. no apologies from my end. Um, yeah. So, Matt, where are you ranking? Heaven sent. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm equally nervous. So, I'm going to say this with trepidation, because okay. since since midnight, I think you've grown in confidence, and you like to shout at me a lot more when we disagree. <laughs> okay. Right. So, promise me, David, you're not going to shout at me. I will try. I'll try really hard. Okay. Because I think I'm going to go against popular opinion here. Uh-huh. I, I thought this was excellent. I really enjoyed this episode. <sighs> I thought, thought I'd tease you a little bit there. This, this uh, is we what, did it, listeners. This is one of those episodes where... I, I mean, I think you used the term earlier where it's just a moment in Doctor Who, isn't it? It is. It, it's not it is. necessarily the biggest story, 
point, but it, it's a very special episode, isn't it? It is. It's it's it it's one that breaks the mold, breaks a lot of the usual rules mm. of the show, um, and yeah, that can that's that's risky. It can go either way. I uh, I think like to 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 outsiders um, or or more casual fans, I should say. I don't want to make it into a sort of us and them thing, but you know, people who don't engage with Doctor Who quite on the same level as as the hardcore fandom do, they'd probably point to an episode like Blink as, you know, Stephen Moffat's uh, finest episode, his 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 masterpiece, if you like. Um, and I think historically that's what you said, isn't it? That mm-hmm. it's his best episode. But honestly, I, I think this episode knocks Blink into a cocked hat. I, I think this is Moffat's true masterpiece. See, in terms of writing I, for Doctor Who. I don't know if I'd say this is my favourite episode. Like, I, because it's so, like, intense, I don't know if I could sit and watch it again without having a little break again first. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, to be clear, I, I've i never, like... Uh, every time I think about ranking things... I, I changed my mind almost instantly. I, I have, I did once kind of come up with a, like my final, my, you know, ranking every episode of Doctor Who. And it, this was up there. I can't remember now whether I, I ranked it number one at the time or not. Um, but there are times when I think it should be there. And so other times when I'm like, I, I don't know that you can rank this as the greatest ever Doctor Who story because it's so unlike other Doctor Who's. And, and and to me, I think almost that that title should go to, to, to an episode that in some ways is a bit more, you know, typical bread and butter Doctor Who, but just done at an extremely high level, mm-hmm. um, which this isn't. This is this is different. This is this was the, the show taking an opportunity to just do something unique and and to be honest, I think it's something that a sh- any other show wouldn't even be able to do. I don't think you could have done an episode like this in, I don't know, Game of Thrones. Coronation or... Street. Coronation Street. No, I, I mean, I would love to see Coronation Street have a go at an episode where you've just got a single character locked in a clockwork castle <laughs> being pursued <laughs> by their own nightmares. But... Um... Yeah, it's it it's so it's somehow simultaneously uniquely Doctor Who and also unique within the canon of Doctor Who. Um, so yeah, it it's it's almost hard to know where to begin, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, but yeah, I, I I did want to shout out those names, and I I I'm assuming you recognised some of those names and maybe not others. So to be clear, the the other ones, the the, the less well known ones that I was mentioning there, Murray Gold wrote the score. You know he's he's been scoring Doctor Who since since the start of uh, the, the the RTD years. Um, I think this is his best work of any episode we've had to to date. Um, Stuart Middlecombe, the cinematographer, William Oswald, the editor. My God, the editing in this. We'll talk more about that as we go. But I think it's an absolute tour de force from an editing perspective. Um, Ray Holman uh, doing costume design and Michael Pickwood uh, on production design. 
Um, and like I say, you could you could keep going on. I, I, even if you don't like the story being told in this episode, the execution is as close to flawless as anyone could hope for. I feel like. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm already rambling as I feared I might. Um, I want to let you get a word in. I also want to. Uh, I wondered if maybe any of our listeners had uh, had chipped in with their thoughts on this one. Yeah, yeah, they did. So I put out a tweet once I'd watched this. I did put one out beforehand. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But afterwards, because like I say, this felt like a real beat, and I was trying to think yeah. what's. What's the last one I could think of that made me feel that way? And it was probably Day of the Doctor. Yeah. So I put a tweet out saying, which is better, Heaven Sent or Day of the Doctor? And I know Mm. Day of the Doctor, didn't that come number one in like all the polls in Doctor Who magazine? It did in the last Doctor Who magazine. But but to to be fair, they haven't done an every story poll since uh, Capaldi took on the role. Okay. I imagine they'll probably do one for maybe the 60th when we get to that. So that will include Capaldi and, and all, you know, everything we've had from Whitaker so far as well. But as things stand, I don't think Heaven Sent has, has, has been included in any polls. Right. Well, 64% of people who replied yeah. said that Heaven Sent was better. Yeah. So when I asked for opinions on that, I've got a few I can read out. Yes, go for it. So we'll start with Kimberly, who says, Day of the Doctor is 100% better. I've never understood the hype around Heaven Sent or Hellbent, and this whole series as a whole. Day is a fun romp, and I could watch it so many times and not get bored. Well, yeah, it's a fair point. I, I mean... It- it's interesting because they are kind of like chalk and cheese, aren't they, mm. in some respects? Um, Day of the Doctor is like your big Hollywood blockbuster. And this, and, and Heaven Sent is like your sort of art house, you know, chin strokey kind, kind of. They're, they're, they're very different beasts. Um, right. Well, so who do we, who we got next? We'll go to James. James Courtney, yeah. who sent me a nice message saying that he had received our package that we sent him, David, with a Excellent. copy of The Twin Dilemma. Although I'm not certain if he's read my amendments to that book yeah. yet. You haven't posted that publicly yet, have you? No, I want to make sure James is the first person to see those. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, he says he refuses to answer this as he rejects having one favourite. They're both brilliant, but in such different ways that they cannot compare. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with with uh, with comparing the two. Okay. And then in terms of this poll, the last message comes from Frank, who says he prefers Heaven Sent because if you are grieving or going through any kind of loss, it is one of those things that can give you the words you couldn't feel to describe your feelings. Also, it's a better story, better written and with better music and direction. He is not a fan of Day of the Doctor. Oh, crikey. Ah. Yeah, um, we're definitely going to talk more about how it how it plays with the theme of grief. I think it's pretty central to this story, so I'm interested to have that discussion with you. Um, right. So I'm going to yeah. 
read. I just put a general tweet out before watching, just saying yeah. I'm going to sit down and watch it. Do you have any thoughts? So uh, we'll go to James again, who says this is perhaps the best episode of Capaldi's era. Although I think there's still a perfect story to come. It's all just magnificent. Everything working in sync. That soundtrack, Moffat, Talalay, Capaldi, Gallifrey. Okay. And yeah. he says he does have other thoughts, but they're intertwined with the next episode. Yeah. So we'll wait for those. Uh, if we go back to Frank, he says it's his favourite episode. Every aspect just snapped. The music, the script, the direction, the acting, the costumes. I think every single person should be proud. I love yeah. these kinds of episodes because we have an inherently scientific mind trapped in an art house setting. That's a really good way to put it. I never th looked at it that way, but yeah, no, I like that. You see, this is... Can you see why I'm nervous now, Matt? There are so many other Doctor Who fans who have who spent so much time already thinking and, and discussing uh, this story. That it's like, what, what can I add... <laughs> To the, to the discourse that already exists around this episode. So um, we then got a reply from Paul Kirkley, who I think it's his first mention on pod. So do you want to say hello I to Paul? I think it is. Hello, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Okay. He says, it's very much amazing. It's Murray Gold's finest hour. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Like I said, but the, the music... I. I I'm I'm hot and cold on, on, on Murray Gold's music. There are times when it really works for me and times when I find it just completely overblown or, or kind of just, yeah, over the top for, for, for what's actually on screen. But this, genuinely, I think, is no perfect. It's an incredible score he okay. put together for this one. We then got a reply from The Doctor Who Show, which is an Australian Doctor Who podcast. I think oh, it's awesome. our first interaction with them. So do you want to say hello to those, David? Hello. Okay. They say, it's a clever piece of television, although, Christ, you wouldn't want Doctor Who to be like this every week, or even no. every year. Very much a one-off. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Right. And final one. I've saved the best till last, David. Yep. David, it's Marty McLean. Hi, Marty. Okay, so internet celebrity Marty McLean says, Heaven Sent is my favourite piece of Doctor Who ever. I've only I've only seen it twice, so I'd forgotten just enough for him to be as blown away as he was the first time. It's hard for me to mention specifics, as I love every aspect. Anyone less than Stephen Moffat, Rachel Talalay, William Oswald and Peter Capaldi could never have pulled this episode off as successfully as they do. Yeah. And then I, I replied to Marty, and this is sort of how I feel. Okay, David, this is this is me tweeting in. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how to approach reviewing this one. It's an episode reliant on performance rather than plot, though the plot is still top tier. It's going to be hard to put across how great parts of this episode really are. Yeah. Because usually our little review, I just read the plot and we pick bits yes. out. But hard to do that this week isn't yeah, it yeah I, I i must admit i got a long way through and my notes were just like doctor runs down corridor mm. and then there's some brilliant acting and then it's doctor runs back along corridor so <laughs> yeah. you know yeah like, the, I, I, the way we review could... it usually won't do this justice i think yeah 
And I initially, I was like, I was worried that this would be the case and we wouldn't have as, I wouldn't have as many notes from you to bounce off of. So I was like, well, why don't I just write down lines that stand out to me? And after five minutes, or so, I'm just basically writing the whole script. <laughs> yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I I don't have any notes. Um, I don't th- see the value in trying to highlight particular lines generally because they're really there's not a weak line for you know that Capaldi's given, and his performance is just rock solid the whole way through. <sighs> do do we even just... bother? We, we've done nearly 45 minutes. Should we just sign off and just go, yeah, it was good at the end? <laughs> I think we need to try and dig in a bit more. But uh, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens, Matt. Right. So, Heaven Sent. This is episode 11 of season 9 from the 28th of November 2015. As we've yeah. already said, written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Rachel Talalay. Yeah. So this is her, you know, she obviously, she she uh, directed the Series 8 finale, mm-hmm. back for Series 9. She directs next week's as well. Okay. So, uh, so, yeah. I've said that the episode opens with a pretty good opening speech from Capaldi about having a second shadow. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to ruin the ending before we get there, but... The first thing we really see is something, a robed figure pulling a handle and then dying. Yes. Okay? Yes. Now, from the off, I, I've i watched enough Doctor Who to, like, spot clues now, I think. Yes. Because I noted yeah. that that was a human hand. Yeah. And, you know, there's only one, well, not human, but there's only one human-esque character in this episode. So that... That was always in the back of my mind, David. I need to be honest with you. Uh, you know, no, that's that's fair enough. I'll be honest. The first time I watched it, I was so swept along that that I'd forgotten about that opening moment until it looped back round, mm. and then I was just you know my my jaw hit the floor because because it was just it was buried there in my memory, but I but I was so in the moment in the present that I'd just forgotten all about it. Um. But yeah, and I love that you know you get that beautiful opening monologue. We've just we talked before about how Capaldi is kind of the king of monologues, mm. and you know as is very much evidenced here, um, in that he gets to do both on camera and narration for mm. this episode, if you like. But yeah, that opening narration I think is really really lovely. Um, you know. He just delivers it so well. You kind of you 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 just you're hanging on every word. Yeah. From from the very first moment, really. But it, it's so clever because Capaldi's the only character. You're yeah. you're forced to pay attention, and we all know he's good. Yeah. But when you're forced yeah. to witness just how good. Yeah, and to be honest, because he's kind of talking to himself, or he's talking to like an imaginary Clara. Um, you know, he even breaks the fourth wall at one moment, you know, and, and yeah. kind of looks directly da- down the camera and says, I'm nothing without an audience. We are basically the companion for this story. Mm. You know, we're there stood 
next to him all the way through and he's got no one else to bounce off. So there is an intimacy to it. Um, yeah. So, as we said, something pulls the handle and dies and the Doctor appears. So we've seen him arrive following his teleport at the end of last episode. Yes. He remembers Clara's death and he sifts some dust from the floor. Yeah. And going back to what you said about good lines, he says, I, the Doctor, I'm coming to find you and I will never, ever stop. Yeah. So this idea, he... this idea that we've had that the Doctor is always going to save one person, now that that one person is Clara, he is, yeah. you know... Absolutely determined. Yeah, and he is just so f- so angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think. Uh, and it's a very different kind of ang- like we've seen all the doctors get angry. Sometimes it's it's pretty core to the character, but it's often kind of a righteous anger. Mm. This feels different. This yeah. feels personal. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what Clara said last week. It's his face. Yeah. (laughs) So, following the titles, he's in a castle. Yes. And there's static computer screens around him. Mm -hmm. So, he says his goal is to survive until nightfall. Then he can use the stars to determine exact location. He'll know where he is. Yes. Yes. And he finds a shovel. And... Then he just shouts for a bit. Which, again, that, like, ordinarily in an episode, if I was like, yeah, they just shout for a bit, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. But here, like I say, the performance is... It's so good. Yeah, because yeah. he's funny as well. Like, you know, he finds the job and he says, what, are you gardeners? Oh, I hate gardeners. Who yeah. <laughs> has a power complex over plants. It's just like... So he can be funny and angry and sad all in the same moment. Yeah. Yeah. So he then looks at one of the computer screens as he sees his own image appear on it. Yeah. And he works out that something is watching him. So when he locates where the camera or whatever that would be pointing at him, he sees it's a a window across the way from him and inside we see a hooded figure. Yes. Um, referred to within the production as The Veil. The Veil. Okay. Yeah. So he works out that he can use these screens to determine where The Veil is. Yes. Okay. So as it approaches, he says he's seen The Veil before. Yes. Because there is a story from his childhood about, is it an old lady who wears yeah. rags and is surrounded by flies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically I think it was one you know one of his early early moments of kind of see, staring death in the face. Mm. Basically. Now, we'll we'll talk about it maybe later, okay? But this made me think about what kind of still haunts me a bit from my childhood. Yes. Like if I was in a similar scenario, what would be there for me so i i think do we have to get to the end before we have that conversation we can talk about it now if you want okay so if if you were trapped in a similar 
situation, David, haunted by your yeah. childhood, what would it yeah. be? What are the scary things that still haunt you from your childhood? Um, the one that immediately springs to mind and is the, the root of my my only genuine phobia, which is claustrophobia. Um, it was, it was some sort of like, uh, I don't know, summer fate or something or other. And there was a, a, a little, a little, not an obstacle course, but a little like thing you could go through that had been like put together by the fire department or something. Um, this is very, very early vague memories for me by the way and it was just sort of like you had to crawl through it almost felt like um you know crawl, crawling through air vents or something and uh you know in order to get to safety basically that was a vague premise or uh, or as i recall it uh all i really remember is it being dark and cramped and despite me being quite small at the time, I was utterly terrified. I'd seen my big brother go through it and he thought it was really fun and had a great time. And I was jealous and I wanted to do it. And I pestered my parents uh, who were probably thinking, oh, he's a little bit young. And so I did it. I couldn't have been more than like four or five years old. But I did it. Um, but by the time I, I, you know, I had to be kind of like extracted from the other end, a, a, just a gibbering crying wreck it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my childhood and i can't do i can't do enclosed spaces like that anymore i i I can't i can't stand in a cupboard for a long period of time i um i i start to get really really stressed if i'm like in the back of a car and there's too much luggage Mm. it's um yeah it's it's a genuine phobia I know it's irrational, but I, I kind of it it just the the seed was planted there. So I don't know that it would be a figure for me. I think it would just be that sense of like walls closing in on me, mm. or, or doors closing behind me, running out of options. See, mine was I I remember when I was probably about thirteen. So from the ages of thirteen to about eighteen, my job was I was a milkman. So I used to get up really, really early, three in the morning and deliver the milk. And one of the places I had to deliver the milk was an old people's home. Ah, right. So basically I used to go into the old people's home and drop the milk off at each person's individual room. Yeah. And it was was very much like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm. And I must have done the milk around for easily three years and not seen a soul. And then just one day, there was like an old lady just wandering the halls. Uh, yeah. Clearly not mentally competent. Yeah. Uh, just sort of like shouting and screaming at me. And it still really, really like haunts me. Yeah. No, I can imagine that, that it would. That's a, that's a hard thing. It's, it's when, especially when you're young, it is really hard to get your head round like pr- proper you know, proper age like that, genuinely being at death's door in that way. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, yeah, what, I, I, what, that's what would be chasing me. Yeah, but I, for what it's worth, I think the design, the the design on the veil, that 
you know that that shroud with the flies buzzing round it's so simple so effective and especially the, those those ghoulish hands mm. you know with with the elongated puppety fingers um yeah really simple but effective uh costume design so the doctor begins to run away from the veil yeah and he opens a door to escape it but behind the door is simply a brick wall. Yep. And the Doctor admits to being scared. And he says, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm scared of dying. And when he does that, time stops. And the tower yes. realigns itself. So that grants yeah. him an opportunity to escape. Yeah. I, I, and you can tell it stopped to the, to the point that the flies buzzing around the veil stop moving, you know. Mm. it. it, it yeah. Um, so when he's escaping, he finds an old oil painting of Clara. Yes. Uh, it's very old, so we get the feeling that, you know, something's not as it should be here. Yeah. And when looking at it, the shrouded figure, the veil, approaches again. So to escape, the Doctor jumps out of the window. Yes. And this is where we start one of my favourite bits of the episode. Because as Mm -hmm. he's falling down into the water below, we enter the Doctor's mind palace. It all gets a bit Sherlock Holmes. It does. It does. Um, You know, (laughs) understandably, you know, there's some shared DNA between between Sherlock and Doctor Who, um, especially this era. But having it be the TARDIS, so simple, so effective. Mm. And I never tire of TARDIS scenes shot in this particular TARDIS interior. Mm. I think it's so gorgeous, especially when you get a director of Rachel Talalay's calibre, who chooses such interesting angles to work with within that space. Because I can't remember where... It's not this one, is it? I think it's a later time where he enters his mind palace. Yeah. where it begins with all... It's pitch black, and then yeah. step by step, the TARDIS powers up. Yes, and it, it's kind of... It's it's uh, it's symbolising him regaining consciousness. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it It's used so well in this story. And in... His, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, and especially when you can sit, take a step back and realise, oh, it's just a money-saving thing. It's like, it yeah. means they don't have to build a new set. But, um, yeah, just so so simple and effective. So, in his mind palace, he has a Clara. And at first, we don't see her face, do we? It, yeah. It looks almost yeah. just like a dummy dressed up like Clara. But that's what yeah. he bounces his ideas off to work out. Yeah. And I like that he's, he tells her, he says, oh, I've got a plan, I've always got a plan. And then he turns to break the fourth wall and goes, I cannot wait to hear what I'm going to say here. <laughs> yes yeah so um and we get the we get the return of the uh the blackboard motif mm. you know that we've that we've used in in listen and uh last christmas you know again it, it's such a good fit for capaldi's doctor i think he has this sort of academic quality to him mm-hmm. that I, th- I think it just it's just a really nice nice fit for his his character so he deduces that when he jumped out the window, he was able to smell, is it salt water? 
So he works yeah. out that the castle is in the ocean. He works out he'll mm-hmm. be safe, and he lands in the water. And this is where the lights come back on for the TARDIS as he yeah. regains contact. And it, he also reveals that you know prior to that he'd been doing things like testing the gravity, and you know, and and it cuts back to all these moments we'd already seen where he'd be like you know picking the petal off a lily. And, and watching it fall to the ground or or dropping the eyepiece with which he was examining the painting and all these things that seem like inconsequential details he's like oh yeah no this is what i was doing all along <laughs> yeah. and you're like you're you're infuriatingly clever you know? <laughs> so he asks himself three questions yes. what is this place what did he say that made the creature stop and how is he going to win yeah. Okay. So I think that's a conversation he's had with Clara, isn't it? Where it's always presume you're going to win. Yeah. Okay. So there are loads of skulls at the bottom of the water. And when he's able to climb back into the castle, he finds dry clothes against the fire. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is another scene where I kind of started to piece together what was happening. Yeah. Because. He takes his own clothes off and puts the dry ones on, and they are identical to the ones he's just taken off. Mm-hmm. And he throws all his clothes on the floor, but then just before yeah. he leaves, he picks them all up and hangs them up exactly as they were. Yes. So, and I, one, one assumes that in that moment he's kind of half thinking like, "Oh, hang on," you know. I feel like that's maybe this doctor's first hint to himself if you like of what's going on yeah um uh w- worth noting at this point as well some 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 cleverer fans and i figured out that in order for this to work his first go around in this loop uh from that point on he must have been doing it all naked yep you, you've got to think there must be like dr prime or yeah you know, who spent who spent who spent that that first dr- dramatic uh, denouement? Yeah, just just buck naked. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So there are loads of arrows pointing to a spot on the ground. Yeah, and I, I don't, I I can't remember what what's the resolution of that. Is this where he finds the? the area to dig isn't that outside though in like a little garden yeah i can't remember what the arrows are i can't off the top of my head to be honest it was a few days ago i watched it now so he does work out that the monster is just there to scare him yeah and this is where he enters like a forest garden and there's another spade and another dig spot and he begins to dig as the monster approaches Yes. So he uses the spade to seal the door to keep the monster away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be his first spade, and he uses the one he's just found to keep digging. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when he digs, he finds under the earth a sign which reads, I am in 12. Okay. So this takes yeah. him back into his mind palace, where yeah. he works out that the monster froze when he admitted to being scared. So it wants confession. It stops yes. when he speaks the truth. Now, it, obviously dropping the word confession there, did you twig at that point the, the link to the confession dial? 
No, because I still thought that the confession dial was like a will and testament. But I didn't yeah. clock that he's actually inside it giving his confession. Yeah, already. no, I, I didn't at all at, at that point. But, uh, but you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm like, ah, oh, of course. <laughs> it's not, you know, that word's not there by accident. So he confesses that he never left Gallifrey because he was bored. Yeah. He left, he said that was always been a lie, and he left because he was scared. Now, I, I'm i guessing saying that he left because he was bored harks back to maybe Classic Who or something. Yeah, there have been times when, you know, that's been that's been the implication. Because but, uh, in, is it in Day of the Doctor where we see Clara enter his timeline? And we yeah. see where she directs him which TARDIS to take. He, yeah. he does look like when he's running around with Susan that he is running to escape something. Yes, yeah. So I think that there, there is a there is a strong undercurrent that uh, the the Doctor as you know was escaping some you know some very specific threat at that moment from that was on Gallifrey. Um, of course, back in the days of the first Doctor, we didn't know. We never heard of Time Lords. We never heard of Gallifrey. That all came later, but um, yeah, it's it fits nicely. And there has always been an element, I think, where I don't know whether it's it's not like a revelation. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, I don't think that line. It's more of a confirmation of what we've always thought. Right. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. Yeah. Right. So from there, let me just turn the page of my notes. So the tower shifts again, obviously, because the Doctor's given a confession. Yeah. And some of the skulls at the bottom of the water start to float, then sink afterwards. Yeah. Okay. So this is where the Doctor gives possibly my favourite line, where Mm -hmm. he's talking about grieving, and he says, you know, on the day that someone dies, that's not the worst day, because at least you're busy, you have something to do. It's yeah. the days after that you need to be worried about. Yeah, where they keep being dead. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the, the way this episode confronts the, the idea of grief is uh, is so powerful. And that's coming from someone who, I, I'll be honest, I've, I've not exactly lived a life free of that kind of loss. But I've been luckier than most, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still have some surviving grandparents. I have, um, you know, both my parents are still with me. Um, I've, I, 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 I'm I one of the lucky ones, I'd say, when it comes to that. Um, but even then, it still touches me very deeply, those kinds of moments. I dread to think how I'll feel when I revisit this episode years from now and have experienced greater losses in my life. Because mm. I know those days are coming, you know, as, as, is, as is referenced in that very first opening monologue where he's basically talking about the inevitability of death. Yes. You know, something that does come to us all. And, uh, yeah... 
So I think this is an episode that is only going to grow in its power with time uh, for everyone who watches it, really. So this is where we get an element where the Doctor has kind of worked out a little bit of what's going on. Yeah. He works out that if he runs as fast as he can from one end to the other of the castle, he gains a maximum of 82 minutes to elude the monster. To eat, yeah. sleep, and do everything. Okay. Yeah. Because the the monster never goes faster than a walking pace, does it? Yeah. It's a bit like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen the film It Follows. No, I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, Same premise. Basically yeah. a curse where there's like a monstery ghost that walks yeah. slowly after you. Okay. So, if they're left alone long enough, the rooms will reset. He's in a closed energy loop. And this is where he says he's trapped in hell, but don't worry, hell is just heaven for bad people. Oh, you love those lines, don't you? Well, no, not really. Especially because the Doctor (laughs) isn't a bad person. He's just in hell. Yeah. He's he's not in heaven for bad people. He's a good person Mm. in hell. Yeah. But is he a good person? Ah. No, no not this again. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, he talks about the two moments nobody ever remembers the moment of being born or dying. Okay? Yeah. And he sees the word bird written in dust. Yeah. Okay? Because don't forget, David, bird is the word. That's true, bird is the word. Okay. So he finds the skull, which he takes with him. And he puts it on one of the ramparts mm. of the castle. Yeah. Uh, nice production note, by the way. Those skulls are actually modelled on Peter Capaldi's own bone structure. Oh, really? Uh, yes, because they made... they they. I don't know that it was always the plan, but they had to make a cast of his skull when they were doing the uh, makeup and costume for ghost doctor at the uh, end of under the lake ah okay so they had that cast already so they were like well why don't we make sure that these skulls actually get used yeah yeah or yeah when we're making the skulls let's use this cast and and so it it, it, it's plausibly what peter capaldi's own skull would be like i wonder if he's taken one i I was just about to say i I wonder where they are now like, yeah, I I'd be t- I'd, I'd be saying that can I have one? Because they, they must have made a load. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, and you can point to people and say, yeah, that's my skull. <laughs> that's, yeah, but that's it'd, it'd be it weird if like. you had one. If I came to your house and you were like, see yeah. this skull? I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's Peter Capaldi's. I'd be like... I'll be, I would definitely have one on my desk if, if, uh, if the opportunity presented itself. Oh, I think that's weird. I'm a weird person, man. Yeah, but that's like... I don't know if you noticed. The fact that it's someone else makes it weird. It's like when people have shrunken <laughs> heads. Just like, it's really weird. Yeah. Mm. Right, so... He then finds room 12. He's been looking for that all along. But because of the yes. ever-changing um, nature of the castle, he struggled to do so. What do you think about the whole numbering it 12? And obviously that's kind of lampshading the fact that we've got Doctor number 12 here. They did the same thing in the God Complex. Do you remember? It was room 11. Was it? Was uh, was the 11th Doctor's room. and Yeah. I, I. It would be hard not to, I think, is the thing. Yeah. 
as a writer. It'd be hard to resist that temptation. So, inside, there's a big sign that says home and an arrow pointing. And the Doctor yeah. believes that it's the TARDIS, which makes sense. Yes. That's what he believes to be his home. But yes. it's trapped in Asbantium, yeah. which is a substance harder than diamond. Yeah, you say like ten times harder, I think mm. he said something like that, and it's uh, twenty feet thick. So he goes back to his mind palace. Yeah, and Clara asks, "How are you going to win?" Okay. Yeah, and he says, "Look, I just want to lose, just once. Why can't I lose?" Oh God! And his performance in that moment. Is just, it's heartbreaking. He says, you know, I'll tell you everything you want to know about the hybrid if I can just lose. Okay? Yeah. Because whatever he does won't save Clara. However, yeah. this time, the dummy Clara in the TARDIS turns around. She speaks. He can he- hear and see her. And she tells him he has yeah. to win. Yeah. Okay? So... What that means is he starts punching the Asbantium whilst yeah. opting to keep the secret of the hybrid. Okay? So the monster captures the da- the Doctor. Okay? And what it does is it kills him, but obviously Time Lords, they don't die instantly. He works out he's got about a day and a half before his death. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So he works out this is his own hell. He says there must have been other prisoners before him, but then why would it feature things that he's afraid of? So he's starting to piece it here, okay? Yes. So he realises that it's his skull, he pulled the lever, and he's been here a very, very long time. Mm. You know, because he says, well, I, I know where the stars say that I am, but they're out of position. I must have been here for 7,000 years. Yeah, yeah, because initially he's like, oh, I've time-travelled, but he's like, but he realises, no, he hasn't time-travelled, he's just just somehow already been through this uh, for 7,000 years. So, he works his way back up to pulling the lever, like we saw at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doing so with his final breath, he dies, but it makes a new Doctor. He's written Bird in the uh, dust again. Yeah, just before he passes. So, the new Doctor appears, and we see everything happen. And then, I've written down, we see this for another 5,000 years, 600,000 years, 1.2 million years, 2 million years, 20 million years, 52 million years, a billion years, 2 billion years. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. It's just... And, really, as, as good as Capaldi is in his performance, for this sequence... It is Murray Gold's music and, uh, I'm going to get the name right, William Oswald's editing is what makes this this emotional climax so effective. Um, and, of course, we haven't mentioned yet that, that the key thing is, as he breaches the wall and he's made the decision to refuse to talk about the hybrid, he says, I'll tell you a story instead. And he starts to tell this story... Uh, this, this Brothers Grimm story mm-hmm. of of the shepherd's boy who's who's asked um, how long, you know, how long is a second in eternity or 
words to that effect. And and as we go through the loops, every time he gets a little bit further on in the story, you know, and that's yeah. our hint that that over these these millennia he is slowly but surely actually chipping away at this wall and breaking through. Um, but yeah, it's. <sighs> It, you can't talk about this sequence like you would a normal... It's not a normal plot beat that we can dissect. It's it's a, it's a work of art, you know. It, 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 it's music, and, and it's the, the rhythm of the editing. It starts out quite slow cuts, and by the end, it's really frenetic, you know, chopping and, 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 uh, and, and scuttling through this loop again and again and again. Um, how, how, and and how... picking... Picking different details as well each time. How how long but, is each cycle for the Doctor? It's hard to judge exactly. I would guess a few days. Uh, would you say three, four, five days? Maybe, maybe should, something like that. We go for four. Yeah. Right. Are you trying to do the maths on this? Yeah, that means that there have been one hundred and eighty-two billion five million incarnations of the doctor <laughs> so that loop yeah hold on let me let me just write this down a second yeah 182.500000000 because i wonder right let me work this out if you've gone full teacher now, I'm going full teacher. <laughs> Hold on. Right. If you have, how how big would you say a human skull is across? About twenty centimeters. Uh, if you say so. Yeah. Right. Sounds so about right. What's twenty percent is not point. What? So it'd be not point two, wouldn't it? So if we mm. times that by 0.2 equals... So there'd be 36 million... Oh, no. 36 billion square metres of skulls at the bottom of... <laughs> 36.5 yeah. billion... Eventually, uh, if, he, if, if he hadn't broken through the wall quick enough then, he could conceivably be in a situation of when he jumps out of the window and he's, he's just smashing into, into skulls. a pile of Yeah, skulls. that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing it was just quite a deep seabed to begin with. Yeah. Or you could just plug some of the corridors with skulls. Yeah. To stop... Never mind. So, yeah, 36.5 billion metres cubed worth of skulls. It's a lot of skulls. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But, I mean, I'm not going to... You know, there's no point beating around the bush. I cry every time I watch this sequence. Really? It has never not made me cry. I had a little cry this week, but it's because I was listening to the radio and there was just one <laughs> song and I was just like, oh, my... Oh, it wasn't because he got butted by a sheep. <laughs> no, no, that was more than just a little cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I it's I just think it's so so effective, and I would actually recommend Matt if you're curious. There is a video up on the official Doctor Who YouTube YouTube channel that is uh, that sequence 
but just with with the dialogue faded out and so just the music so you've got the visuals in black and white mm-hmm. and uh and and just the music and you can see how perfectly it how perfectly scored it is um so that's a good watch though obviously do do stay away from from the comments because uh it will probably be a mixture of spoilers for the series 9 finale and uh people talking about how awful christian is yeah so when the doctor eventually punches through the asbantium um i was i had no reason not to assume it was going to be the tardis yeah when it says home it's actually just the exit because all along he's been inside his confession dial yes so confession dials aren't a last will and testament they're like a weird prison to get you to give all your secrets yes okay and as he escapes there's a little boy and he says to the boy to go warn the city and as it pans across even i recognize that that is the citadel we're on gallifrey yeah oh come on that is a good cliffhanger yeah well we've waited nine series to get here (laughs) talk about going the long Uh, way around he wasn't wrong yeah Uh, so he says that the prophecy is wrong nothing is ever half dalek okay the daleks would never allow that contamination he said and we know that to be true because we've seen that fan favorite um daleks in manhattan yep yep um, so he says that the hybrid is destined to conquer Gallifrey and stand in its ruins, mm-hmm. and he is the Doctor. Yeah. So, so there we, we go. We know Q, that the Doctor's Q. a hybrid. Yes, half human. Half human is mother's side. Yeah, exactly. Which brings me back to it's been a few weeks. I've still got my copy of Doctor Who, the TV movie novelization. Nobody mm-hmm. wants it, David. Can't give it away. Yeah. <laughs> can't give it away. I might actually uh, might have to read it, and then at least I can say uh, it's good, it and go. someone might take it off my hands. Give it a go. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, genuinely, there was a lot of speculation in the wake of this episode that that is what that Moffat was basically making that canon in inverted commas when it was a piece of of Doctor Who lore that that most Doctor Who fans at that point tried their best to ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there he is, just kind of dangling it again in front of everyone. So it's like, it's simultaneously a brilliant cliffhanger and also very definite fan baiting. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, oh, you know, credit where credit's due to Moffat. That's kind of brilliant. Um, and yeah, we just, that's, that's where we end this, this story. Yeah. Um, I told you last week, he's on Gallifrey and they're just going to thank him. <laughs> just, I think that's all it's going to be. You know, finally, yes, because he's been so cooperative in this episode. Yeah, finally, <laughs> we're not trapped in the time war anymore. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah. We're trapped in a painting instead. Yeah. That's definitely better. Oh, yeah, he'll be in there, won't he? Yeah, presumably. Wow. Mental. So he, yeah. he's in a painting in the Black Archive. Possibly, if it's still being stored there. Yeah. 
He could be the... Oh, no, I don't think it is a painting, is it? I think they're just using a similar sort of technology. I don't think it's a literal painting. I can't remember, to be honest, Matt. No, I, I honestly can't. To be, to be, I think I've said before, I'm the kind of Doctor Who fan who doesn't really pay... I'm not focusing on plot. No. What and, matters to me is how it makes me feel in the moment. And, and if we're interested in a story we watched, like, two years ago, it'll drive you mad because there's so many plot holes. Yes. Like, yeah. You, you can't it's, watch Doctor Who in that mindset. No, you can't at all. It's like... It's like music. It's about how it makes you feel more than anything. Um, at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, and as for how it makes me feel... Honestly, first time I watched this, I was like... It was one of those ones that kind of left me with like a sort of ringing in my ears. Like I didn't... I almost didn't know what to make of it. I knew I liked it, but... I, it kind of it took a few days for me to really process. Mm. Um, See, I, and, I, I was wary because sometimes when we start an episode with Capaldi giving a big speech, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, there's something scary." Oh, sometimes it might just be a big spider or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, I, I like S- this sleep dust. Yeah, like this did. A lot of the regular stuff, but it yeah. also mixes it up brilliantly. And yeah, then at the same yeah. time, it's completely different. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, nothing else quite like it. And uh, so next week, we will be getting the conclusion of this story, mm. a little episode called Hellbent. Mm. Before, um, we, before we do, David... Yes. I, I've saved this right until the very end, so only people yeah, that have listened... Go for it. Okay, obviously we've watched this episode. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. What? Why don't you ask me whether or not I'm a Doctor Who fan now? Oh, am I allowed? Go on. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Matt. Hello. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Nah. See you next week. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.